Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of Placing Faces, the show where we sit down with some of the most influential casting directors in all of Hollywood and across the entertainment spectrum. I am your host, Charlie Chappell, and today we sit down with casting director and vice president of the Casting Society of America, Rich Minto. Rich is a warm, funny, easygoing guy with a lot of really wonderful stories about the world of casting. From the unique challenges of individual film searches to the process of getting hired on a film as a casting director and the efforts the CSA is making to further the recognition for the casting directors that do this work. He's cast projects like The Step Up series, Warm Bodies, and The Wackness, a movie I adore, Dear John, and a whole lot more. He's also the latest in a long, strong line of casting directors. We talk about the importance of mentorship, working alongside other casting directors, and how to find a person who fits the role and the role that fits the person. I hope you enjoy listening to Rich as much as I enjoyed talking to him, and I hope that you learn as much as I did. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to come talk with us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're excited. I like to talk uh, first about the beginning so how did you get into the industry and what were things that led you into becoming a casting director i i thought it would be fun which it is i was on my way to law school my undergraduate degree is in political science and i got into the law school of my dreams and then i wouldn't say i had a panic attack but I decided I didn't really necessarily want to do three more years of school. Mm -hmm. And a good friend of mine was working as a casting assistant uh, in New York. And we were talking and he said, you know, you'd actually be really good at this. Why don't you come up to New York and see what I do? Uh, We had done sort of summer stock community theater together and we're friends. Uh, And so I did. And... As my mother says, tells the story, I never went home, which isn't true. I actually went back to Philadelphia, got my stuff, and moved to New York. Uh, so I moved to New York, and uh, I took three meetings. I didn't get the job that I wanted originally, so I spent a year, almost a year, as a uh, an agent assistant at a small agency in New York. And then I would say about nine or 10 months later, the casting job that I wanted originally that I didn't get became available again. Mm -hmm. And so I took that and I started, started as a casting assistant in 1996. Sure. It seems to be a a pattern um, with the people that we've talked to so far that a lot of you guys have worked on the agency side, at least in the very beginning and realized that. Uh, some of them have put it uh, in the sense that rather than being a seller, you wanted to be a buyer. I I definitely had that. I It's funny. I sort of thought about it for a bit, and then I went to my bosses at the agency and said, look, I, I can do this job. I could do this job really well. I'm not passionate about it. It's not what I want to be doing. And this opportunity to work as a casting assistant has come back up again. And I, this is what I'd like to try. And so I moved over. I, yeah, it kind it kind of was a kind of landed in casting, but it really does suit me. And it's funny, my, the friend that uh, introduced me more or less to casting uh, 
passed away a couple years ago. He had left casting and moved into advertising. Um, but I'm still doing it. What sort of things did you learn on the agency side that benefited you when then moving into casting? Uh, I mean, just really how the process works. It was, it was the nineties still. So there were fax machines. There was no internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was no computer at my desk. Uh, breakdown services were hand delivered to the agencies in New York and slid under the door. So I would get in in the morning and pick it up off the floor. Uh, but it's still the same. It's, you know, we had a filing system of pictures. Now they're all electronic, but it's still looking at the breakdowns, seeing which clients are right. It's just the other side of the conversation. Sure. And then spending the day calling casting directors, pitching your clients. Mm -hmm. That's just it. I could do it. I, I have a lot of friends who are agents and managers and I look at what they do every day and it's just not how I want to spend my day. Okay. And I knew that in under a year. What sort of things tipped you off that that wasn't the case? I guess what I'm trying to get at is just what is it about the casting side that is the draw to people? Because there's a lot of people that I think are going to listen to this show that are still trying to figure out what it is that they want to do in this industry. It, it comes, it's a little bit what you said before. It, it's a little bit of sales that is not in my nature um, because it is, it is selling actors a little bit. Um, that's just not one of my skill sets. It's not something that ever interested in interested me. Uh, but I like telling stories. And, you know, as I, as I said before we started, I'm a terrible actor. I have done it, but I've never actually wanted to do it as a living. Uh, but I like telling stories and I'm not a writer. And this, I've loved actors and performance and television and film and pop culture my whole life. It just sort of fit. It was the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and, and I think that that's ultimately how people have to go about figuring out where they fit is trying those different things. And it seems like from the conversations that we've had, that process of really trying to figure it out, really trying to testing it out the waters in different places, but still like you end up falling into the place that does ultimately fit if you stick around long enough. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I've toyed with management ideas over the last couple of years. It's just, it just doesn't suit me. It doesn't fit. It's not the relationship that I want to have with actors. It's, it's a beneficial one. It's a, but it's also a very difficult one. I think, um, you know, I had a manager for a while. She's great, but it just didn't work out. And working at the talent agency, I watched that happen. And it was devastating for the agents. It was a smaller agency when clients left, when clients fired their agents, when clients got poached. It's just not what I wanted to put my time into. Mm -hmm. And casting has its ups and downs anyway, but it's different. Yeah. Um, well, I, I usually get into like early career and we'll definitely talk about some of your early stuff. Um, but instead of talking about your first film immediately, uh, which we'll definitely get to, I want to talk about the lineage of casting directors that you've kind of worked with. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of your early work was, uh, as a casting associate with, uh, and I'm going to say this twice just in case, Joanna Colbert, mm -hmm. Colbert. Yep. Um, 
she's known for Hollywood Land. You worked with her on Chloe, Mr. Nobody. She did Van Helsing, Half Baked, Happy Gilmore, Blues Brothers 2000. But her early career was working with Juliette Taylor. Yes. Which is, you know, sort of a royalty figure in casting. People who know anything about anything in casting, the movie Casting by, Juliette Taylor is a, is a big standing uh, force within casting, you know, from The Exorcist to Taxi Driver to Schindler's List and Big. And Is there any sage advice that has kind of been passed down through that lineage of working with people who have worked with people who have kind of defined this role? I'd have to think about it a bit for sage advice, but what I, how I like to think of it is, you know, I Joanna and I, I worked for her for a couple of years, and then we were partners for five or six, and she's got great taste. She's awesome. But I actually, when I came to her, when I came, when she left Universal and I went to work for her when she went out sort of and opened her own company, but I had already worked I had worked on Broadway, I had worked at CBS, I had worked at Sony Television out here. So I sort of, she's sort of the end of my people that I worked for list. And I like to think of it as the casting directors along the, along the way, I sort of have taken a little bit from each of them and how they do it and molded that into my philosophy and how I approach casting. How do you mean? I sort of look. I, I would say my mentor. I don't know whether he would call himself that, but the person from whom I learned the most about casting is a casting director named Mark Sachs, who uh, does mostly television, goes back and forth from New York and L.A. Um, he's extremely organized, mm-hmm. and I am extremely organized from working with him. I think uh, casting in general, you have to be organized. It's a it's a very uh, secretarial job to a certain extent it's a lot of numbers and names and prices and quotes and you have to be organized to be a casting director but my day-to-day and how i approach projects is most like him but i've also my first casting director i learned from the second one i learned from mark i learned from joanna i learned from people i've partnered with i've learned from you can't there's no school there's no casting college Mm mm-hmm so learning, picking up little bits you and work, pieces about you work how for they someone. work. You yeah. work for someone, you work with someone, mm-hmm. and you develop your own style, for lack of a better word. How important do you think that that has become in today's world of casting compared to how it used to? Because it used to, yeah, you, you would work with somebody, but there literally was no film school. There was no nothing. Nobody really had, uh, had formalized any way of doing anything. So in the modern era, how important do you think it is working with other casting directors, getting in the door as an assistant, then an associate, and kind of working your way up the ranks instead of going just straight to, I'm just going to start casting these short films and then I'm going to cast. I think it depends on the person. I, you know, I've been doing this a long time now, and there certainly has been an explosion in the number of casting directors, but there's also been an explosion in the number of projects. It... I think it's important to work for someone. I think simply it takes years to learn actors. Yes, anyone can just turn around and say, I'm a casting director, and people do, and they're good at it, and that's great. But it's not just 
the job isn't just looking on IMDb, for example, and putting in an age range and mm -hmm. saying, oh, I recognize that person. There's, there's a lot more to it that I think you can only learn over a period of time. Otherwise, you just don't have the exposure to the actors. And I think what's most important is learning how to navigate situations with producers, with studios, with networks. It's a bit not Machiavellian, but there's an art to it. You know, the casting, casting is about getting people on the same page sometimes. Um, Joanna actually often says, you know, casting directors always feel like the child of divorced parents because people don't always want the same thing. The director disagrees with the producer who disagrees with the studio and the casting director. Part of our job is to find some consensus to find a mediate all yeah, of those while, different voices while also advocating for what we think is best. We don't always get our way, but you still have to learn how to fight for that. You have to learn how to navigate those conversations. And yes. Yeah. Well, look, because ultimately I think casting directors get blamed. If, you know, if a project sure. doesn't move forward because it's not cast or it's cast poorly, for right or wrong, casting directors are blamed. Huh. And I don't know, sometimes I'm sure it's a casting director's fault, but it's also, there's a lot of personalities and a lot of opinions. Yeah. You know, if, if the director knows who he or she wants and the studio doesn't approve it, who's right? I don't know. The studio's paying for it. They get a say. It's the director's vision in film, especially, they get a say. If they can't come to an agreement and the movie doesn't get made, is that the casting director's fault? Probably sure. not. I don't know. Yeah. So much to navigate. It is. It, it's a. It's a lot of. It's a lot of cajoling. It's a lot of strategy, um, and that stuff that I don't think. That takes time to learn. Mm -hmm. It's learned by watching other good casting directors, you know, being silent on. It's the way agents' assistants learn, being silent on phone calls and listening into negotiations. I think a lot of that is also true for casting assistants. Hmm. That's the first time we've heard that, and that totally makes sense. Yeah, and, and, also, and also working with actors. Mm -hmm. You know, it, yes, part of a casting director, casting associate, whatever job is to put actors on tape. But turning a camera on and off is not casting. It's a taping facility. Sometimes that's needed. Sometimes it's appropriate. But learning how to direct actors, if you haven't gone to school for it, it takes time. Now, when you say directing actors, you're talking about directing those actors in the room yeah. and, and taking somebody who comes in with strong choices but may not be necessarily the choices that you think will get them the role or what the director might be looking for and saying, hey, try it this way because this. Yes. I, you know, look, with the, with, the, with the start of the internet age, more and more projects are being cast by self-tapes. So, or having actors come into a casting office without the producer, without the director. So the casting director needs to be able to say, okay, this tape that was sent to me is completely wrong, but the actor obviously can act and just made choices that are not what we're looking for. How do I get them from point A to point B? Huh. Someone who just says, hey, I want to cast a movie now, may or may not have that skill. But if you've watched good casting directors over a period of years, 
you learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. How to push them or pull them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get into a little bit of some of your films. Um, and like I said, we would talk about the first one that you were, the first feature that you were credited, at least on IMDb, as casting director. Sometimes IMDb uh, skips some things, was Step Up. It was, actually. Which is, out of the, like, out of the bag, that's a, that's a great start as a casting director it was actually and and i have joanna really to thank for that we when we started that movie i was the casting associate and because of other things that we were doing in the office and uh specific things to the project she bumped me up um you know we had to we had to let go our local casting director and I went to ba- I went to Baltimore twice and did the local casting as much as I could myself. And I think I know she felt it was warranted, and so I was bumped up to casting director. So she was kind of a champion for you, as well as being somebody who showed you some of the ropes. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think we she and we learned a lot from each other. I think was was one of the strengths of that collaboration. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Step Up I guess was my first on screen casting credit. Yeah. And, I mean, that is a movie, uh, Channing Tatum is uh, the star of that movie, mm-hmm. uh, along with his ex-wife, wife... Uh, separated, separated, divorced, separated. I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, <laughs> he's, this, he's done movies before that, but this yes. is what put him on the map. This is what... It is, and people I... people were like, oh, that, I, that guy. He's, yeah, he, he had done a number of movies before, and a number of actually really good performances. I... I met him, I'm going to say I met him in 2003. Uh, I read him for a movie that Joanna cast that I was the associate on. He was totally wrong for the role. And I just remember his his agent was a friend, pitched him. He had really only done that Mountain Dew commercial that mm-hmm. sort of everyone sort of, who is that guy? Uh, and I read him and I wrote down, you know, completely wrong, but this guy's a star. And... What was it that like? It just, what is it that it, you see in it, somebody like that? That's like star. That's the quality. Just the it factor. You can't explain it. It nobody can explain it. No, but, but he was totally, you're totally right. He was totally yeah. wrong for the role. Yeah. But he was right for something. But he was right big. for something. Yeah. And whether it was you know Guy to Recognizing Your Saints that came after that, or you know any of the other movies that he did. You know, when when it, when someone's right for the role, they're right for the role. And it's undeniable in Step Up because I rewatched it. it. He is really really good in that movie. He Not is. only can he dance, but he's a good actor. He and is a good he, actor. I don't think I think people are more on board with that now, but especially early in his career, I don't know. People thought he was pretty and could dance and all that stuff, but he is a good actor. He's got range and chops he does you know he's well he's you know he's the type of actor that i prefer because he he does he does have skills but he also always wants to be better and he always Mm -hmm. tries to challenge himself and do things that he hasn't done before and that i find the most interesting they're the actors that i really like the Mm -hmm. most um, I have a special, you know, because I, I also cast Dear John, which he was in. Yeah. So I have, yeah. you know, I, I have an affinity for Mr. Tatum. Um, 
But, you know, the first Step Up movie, the movie works on a number of levels. You know, it's a similar story that people have seen before in dance movies and other movies. But, you know, Anne's work is amazing. The choreography is great. But the movie, for me, lives and continues to live on the connection between Channing and Jenna. And it's a it, great it's connection. Palpable. Yeah. It's and for and then years later people understand why they were falling in love. Well, and I'm curious was that in in the casting process if you were around for those did, was there a chemistry read between was. the two of them? There was, was. It's was funny. it that palpable? Yes. In the beginning it was. There was. There was there was a definite attraction. Obviously Jenna brought skills to the job on her own. Um you know, I think she was one of the last people we read because she, I think she was off on the Justin Timberlake tour and we just couldn't get her to audition. She wasn't in town. Uh, but it's funny, when we were casting Dear John, I burned a DVD. That's how long ago that was. I burned a DVD for Channing. Here's the moment you and Jenna met because huh. it, was a, it was a chemistry read and I walked her in and said, Jenna Dewan, this is Channing Tatum, Channing Tatum, Jenna, Jenna Dewan. And I was like, this is the actual moment on camera that you two met. Huh. And he laughed, but yeah. So that's, it was, that was palpable. Yeah. Well, and I'm also curious if anybody, if anybody had a clue that this movie, this dance movie, 2006, when other stuff was kind of happening around that and had been, was going to make as much of an impact as it did and then turn into this series that's still going. They're still making step-up franchise stuff. Yeah, they are. Um, look, I think you always hope that. Um, I don't know that when... You, you'd, you'd have to ask Adam Shankman and Jen Gibgott when they started, You know, did they think there would be five movies? Um, I think they probably would say no, but... I think we were very proud of the first movie and then certainly the second movie entirely different flavor and sort of I think then set the bar for the rest of them. Yeah, cuz I mean you you were part of Step Up, Step Up to the Streets, Step Up 3D, Step Up Revolution and yeah, Step I'm, Up All In. Actually, I I'm the I'm the only casting director on all 5 yeah. films. Cuz Joanna didn't do the last one. Sure. What and Terry has... Taylor, who's head of casting at Blumhouse, was on Step Up 2 with us. Okay. Because we we were doing, I think we had two other movies at the same time. So the three of us cast the second one, then Joanna and I cast the third one, Joanna and I cast the fourth one, and then I cast the fifth one. What has that been like casting throughout the, the lifespan of this franchise? I... I, it was a great education. It was a wonderful experience. I, I'm, I'm very, very grateful to Offspring Entertainment uh, for keeping me on for five films. It's, you know, other than you know, Jen and Adam, maybe the music supervisor, Jamal Sims, who started off as an assistant choreographer and then ended up choreographing the later movies, and me. I think we're the creatives through all five films because so the directors change. Obviously yeah. the writers changed, you know, John Chu has, has was instrumental in two through everything else, I think. But for the most part, I think that's the, the handful of us. There's five or six of us. I think that had a part in each of the films. It's a decade of my life. Yeah. 
That's kind of cool. It is. It is very cool. Actually, not a lot. I don't think a lot of people get that sort of experience of working on a, a property outside of television, perhaps. Um, with especially with films, like the, to be able to see something like that start and do so well, and then be able to continue on and tell stories within yeah, that same we, vein. Yeah, we we created a world. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so when you're casting for films like this franchise, there's a lot of grueling work that these performers must do. And I say performers, not just actors, because there are singers, there are dancers, there are musicians. There, these are, there are a lot of double, triple, quadruple threat, uh, performers in these films. Um, all that, and they still have to be able to act and carry a movie how much harder is it to find these types of performers, especially today? Because it used to, I feel like it used to be, you know, back in the 60s, back in the 50s, you came to Hollywood, was every, everybody yeah. was a triple threat. You worked in the studio system. They taught you how to dance. They taught you how to sword fight. They taught. Now that seems to be like there's less double, triple, there, quadruple threat. I, I think there is. We, we made a very specific, and when I say we, I, I mean and Fletcher and Jen and Adam when we started that we didn't want to double, you know, there, there's some really great and iconic dance movies that the dancing is doubled and we didn't want to do that. Uh, and I think unless my memory is faulty other than for injury, um, we didn't double anything in any of the movies. And so I think that's, and that's what makes them work for me. That's yeah. what makes, you know, Robert Hoffman can dance. Brianna Evigan can dance. Ryan Guzman can dance. Um, you know, it's, you, you make trade-offs. Sometimes it's not the strongest actress, but they can dance. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you find it all in one. Sometimes you give someone a start, like Channing, who was obviously right for the role. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating to see that take place in the sense that, there are so few people who can do all of those things, but then when you find that one who can, well, it's it's funny. It's I special. I'll tell you. So this up until so step up one, two, and three, we sort of took the same process, meaning we you know put out a breakdown, talked to the agents, read some actors, found who we liked, and then had them dance, and. There were mixed results. There were some really great actresses who were really right for the role who couldn't dance, as well as Jenna. And so in her, we found someone who could act it, who could dance it, and who also had chemistry with Channing. And that's you know why she got the job. Um, and arguably why the movie works so well. Absolutely. But we found ourselves every time we did, every time we started the process, there were people that we wanted for the role that just weren't good enough dancers. And so on the fourth movie, I called Jen Gibgott and I said, look, I want to do this in reverse. Instead of reading a bunch of actors and then nixing people who can't dance at the level that we obviously need. But by the time we did step up three in 3D on the streets of New York, like this is we've set a standard. Yeah. I said, what I want to do is I want to talk to the agents and I want to see who they like for the role, who can dance. And I want to dance everybody first so that we're not left. I mean, over the course of the dancing of the three movies, like actresses were crying because the dancing is hard. 
And it's very different to say, I like to take a dance class than I am a dancer. I They're trained, very two different things. Strong dancer. And yeah. so I tried it on step up four. I had everyone, the agents flipped out. Like, couldn't understand why I wanted to do this. How dare we ask people to dance first? They're, they're actually, they just want their actors to come in and read. And I had to say, like, you've seen the bar that we've set. If they can't dance this well, they're not going to be in the movie. Why? I don't want to read them. That's not fair to them, let alone me and my time or our time. And so we did it. And it, it I won't say it worked. It worked as well, but we had less brokenheartedness as filmmakers mm. when, you know, you find an actress who says, look, it's not actresses. You find an actor or an actress who says, yes, I can dance. Yes, I can dance. Yes, I can dance. And then you find out, no, you can't dance. Not at the level that we need. Everything else about you is perfect. Huh. So you're saving yourself that heartache. And the actor. And the actor. Because we huh. set a bar. Did you continue that under the, the fifth movie? The fifth movie was different. The fifth movie was a sort of like a homecoming, all stars. Uh, I I want to say... Maybe I added three or four okay. roles. Yeah, um, and we did. There was one. Uh, there was one role that we read a couple of actors, and they just weren't up for the dancing. Hmm. That's gonna be heartbreaking. It is. Um, is there any advice that you have for actors and dancers, all around performers like these people who are auditioning for these kinds of roles? I would say it'd be the same advice that I give to actors for anything, which is know what you're auditioning for. You know, do your homework. If it's a series of movies, watch the other ones. If it's a TV show, watch some episodes. If it's already, ha if it has been aired and, know and, that tone. and be honest with yourself, know the tone, know the style and know what you can do and what you can't do. And so being honest with yourself is, yeah, is of look, utmost importance. Look, that's, um, Sharni Vinson, the female lead of three, her agent called me, or Ryan Guzman, the four and five, uh, their manager agents called me and said, my client can dance. And I said, okay, let's try them. And their clients could dance. We had a lot of it not working out over the course where my client can dance. My client takes classes all the time. Your client likes to dance. They're a decent dancer. They're better than me, but they're not Robert Hoffman. Mm -hmm. who yeah. is a dancer and can act and can act yeah know yourself yeah that's a hard thing it is a hard thing i think it's it's a lot harder than people realize because you come into this town thinking i can do it all it's, it's also hard to watch actresses burst into tears during chemistry reads and tests because they're not at the level and they thought they were hmm. it's heartbreaking I can only imagine how heartbreaking that yeah. is. How is that a, an occurrence that you've seen multiple times? Uh, I would say mostly on the first one, but that was the start. And then you sort of set, as I said, you set the bar. Like this is the level of dancing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. You either can do it or you can't do it. Well, now switching gears a little bit, um, I want to talk about another one of your movies. Uh, warm bodies. Yes, I love warm bodies. Um, 
it's a really fun movie. I love uh, these types of movies that are genre pieces that kind of play within the genre, that uh, incorporate love, but kind of do something different than any of the other movies in that genre at the time. Um, so this one's directed by Jonathan Levine. Yes. Um, starring Nicholas Holt, Teresa Palmer, Rob Corddry, Dave Franco, Annalee Anna Tipton, and John Malkovich. Uh, it's the story of a weird kind of zombie character who's introspective. It's Romeo and Juliet with zombies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great description of it. That's perfect. Using this film as an example, I kind of want to talk about how, one, casting directors come to a project, and I would love to walk through this project of how you became attached to it, and then maybe some of the steps and stages of going from, I'm attached, I have the script, I like the script, and attaching the team that ultimately makes that movie. Well, I had, Joanna and I had worked with John Levine on The Wackness before, and... We'll get into that one in a little I, bit. I, I had, to save that one until you know, later. and he, this project was announced, and Summit, Lionsgate, that company, um, obviously had made Step Up and the other, so I had a relationship with them. I actually advocated push begged to work on warm bodies um why is that because i wanted to do it and uh, casting is quite competitive what was that based on what, what i wanted it? to work with john again okay and uh i did not know the property i obviously it's a novel um but i heard what it was about and i wanted to work with john again and so i called friends at the studio and you know they weren't quite ready and they started a process of finding the actor to play R, to play Nick, Nick's role. Um, they made a couple of offers, didn't work out for whatever reason, and came to me, they came to me, they had made, I think, if I remember correctly, they had made the offer to Nick, but needed to screen test him. Um, so out there in the universe is uh, on camera, is me reading Teresa Palmer's lines opposite Nicholas Holt, grunting as a zombie who can't speak in John Levine's living room. Um, is this online? Not that you can see. No? Okay. No. Um, but yes, it exists. Uh, John, of course, being the hilarious man that he is, made sure I was in some of the shots, which I absolutely hated. Uh, but yeah, so... And so Obviously, Nick was right for the was the guy we were all waiting for. Um, Nick signed on, and then the studio put me and Joanna, but I sort of took point on this one, on that one, um, on what is known as a step deal, which is we have to find the female lead, and we're not going to say we're making the movie really until we know who the female lead is. So I don't remember whether whether it was three weeks or five weeks or whatever, but then the casting process started for that role. When we had that role, then they pushed the button to make the full film. And we started okay. reading the other roles. So it was, you know, it was a very concentrated focus on the role that ended up going to Teresa Palmer. And then it was the other roles. So it's land the first two, the main two roles. For this. I mean, I, I and not. And then build around that. Yeah, not, not all movies sure. would work the same way. But, the, you know, the for Warm Bodies, it was. I made a huge list of actresses in my head. I actually call it the, the Teresa Palmer list. Um, I, she also did a movie for me at Universal uh, called "Take Me Home Tonight," and I just I adore her. But 
you know, all the actresses that could play that role. And then we did a conference call with the president of the studio and my creative executive and John and the producer. And he ended the call by telling us who on that list he was interested in making this movie. Check some avails. Some people aren't going to do it for the money that we have. Some people weren't available. Then I brought in, you know, I want maybe 30 actresses to read. And Teresa won the job in the room. She was the right person for the role. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a very long process because it wasn't, I don't think the studio was interested in making the movie with a complete unknown. So then after that process of finding those two characters, how long was the process then of finding the rest of the cast to fill that out? I want to say my deal was five weeks, but we ended up going for six. Uh, most that of which seems like a really quick turnaround. It was well, there weren't that many roles. Yeah, it was you know Rob. It was Rob and you know, John Malkovich was an offer, obviously. Um, Dave Franco, Anna Lee, uh, John. I think I guess John, you're right. There really aren't that many. There's not that whole. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of characters. Uh, Andrea Kenyon in Montreal did a lot of that. Um, and I think she cast actually a lot of roles that ended up not speaking. I feel like I did all of the speaking roles because there's not a whole lot of speaking with the mm-hmm. zombies. Um, John ended up going to Montreal. I think I did one director session with him in LA. Everything else was on tape. He had so much pre-production to do that, you know, they converted uh, an old section of an airport in Montreal to shoot. So he had a lot of pre-production work to do I did everything on tape Hmm. we sent him tapes and talked about it and talked to the studio and made some offers and I want to say it was five weeks maybe six well because this was your second film with him did you already have an established uh speak and understanding a little bit yeah a, a little bit it it's nice to have a shorthand with directors I I I value that very highly this this was a difficult one in that, you know, tonally, it's horror. It's also a little bit of romantic comedy. Um, that's what I think John did the best with, is sort of making that work in one cohesive film. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, how do you audition a zombie? You how sort of, did you audition? You have to, you feel it out. You try things. You take suggestions, you know, the director directs for a bit, and you try to match tone and style and sometimes like Rob Corddry I think he was I want to say he's the third person that read for the role he was the first day and that's who I wanted yeah and he was awesome that but that, barely has any lines yeah but Rob Corddry's amazing yes he's, he is he's a really incredible actor yes um how often is it that you're the people that you're seeing early on in the process are the people that that set the tone at least for what you end up searching for, even if it's not the person who gets it, but they're they're setting a bar. Well, you know, it's funny casting. You know, casting is one of those departments that comes on very early. You know, there's a writer, there's a producer, there's a director, but a lot of times, I find directors have only heard the script in their head when they start casting, and so the process and the film is informed by the first or second or third group of actors that come in. Um, you know, it's it's happened a number of times where I say to the director, you know, this scene doesn't work. These are amazing actors and they can't make it work. Maybe this joke isn't landing. This isn't. And huh. 
because they haven't table read it. You know, the director sits at home and reads and thinks in his head or she what what she wants to happen. And the director, but the actors are the ones informing the process. I, you know, you get a good sense for what the movie is going to be like or how the director is going to be on set by how they direct the actors in the room. So it's an early peek into almost a previs, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And then you know, and then we finish our job around the time that everyone else starts, and then they go off and make the movie. Yeah. But I would say, if a casting director is on the same page as the director, and obviously that. It's not always the case, and people's tastes change, and ideas for for roles change. But it's often that someone in the first session is the person who gets the job because it is. that's because the look casting directors are hired for their opinion. We want to be, but we want to be impressive, and so of course we want the people that we think could actually get the job in the first session. Of course, look yeah. at I did my job. Here, here are the right people for the job in the first. Yeah, call. well, that's you know what I what I like to say to actors is, I date myself, but in the seventies there was a uh, there's a hair care company named Vidal Sassoon, and their slogan worldwide was "If you don't look good, we don't look good." That's my philosophy of casting, and I try to tell actors that like I when you come into audition. I want you to do a good job because I want you to get the role and, you know, for, for a number of reasons. But selfishly, if you don't do a good job, that reflects poorly on me. So, you know, actors who have this it's us against the casting director mentality don't really understand what casting directors do. If you're in the room, there's something about you that the casting director wants to see mm-hmm. or wants to try or think is thinks is right we're on your side as much as we're on the side of the production. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting just to to play around with actors and to try different things because that gets that and just informs the whole process. It's it, I think it's important. That's one of the things that I've taken away from doing this show is how how much casting directors really do want actors to succeed. It's not like you said, us versus yeah, them. Yeah, I I love actors. I, I like I said, I am a terrible actor, but I love actors. I love the art. I love the craft. I love theater. It's it's something that sort of I've always gravitated toward, as we talked about earlier in the interview. But from a purely business, selfish, I guess. Like I want us to have a good day. Like I. I feel like I've done my job well if at the end of the casting process I can say to the director or the producers, the writers of the studio, whomever, here are three, here are five, here are two actors. You can make this project with these actors. It'll be wildly different projects, different versions of the role, but they can all do it and they can all do it well. Now, who do you want? My job's done. Mm -hmm. I have an opinion. If you want my opinion, I'll give it to you. But otherwise... All five of these actresses would be amazing. You like them all. Now let's talk about who's best, and let's now let's get specific. Mm-hmm. But that's that's when my job is done. When I've brought choices, and then everyone else can weigh in. Mm-hmm. And you know the studio likes this person better, or this person has better chemistry, or whatever. Then it's out of my hands. I still like to always try to get what I want, but it doesn't course, always happen because you're a creative as well. Yeah, it doesn't always happen, yeah. but. Sometimes, sometimes there's arguments. Sometimes, and how do you mitigate those? You pick and choose your battles. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a 
the female, the the male, one of the male leads of Safe Haven, um, not the Josh Duhamel role, the the role that David Lyons got. Um, I had been a huge fan of David's. I can't remember what his NBC series was called at the time, but we were down to a couple of choices, and production was already in North Carolina, and I was. I was sitting in an extra office at Marty Bowen's company at Temple Hill, finishing the auditions. Um, they were all there, and I I wanted David. Like David, it was between him and I think two other actors at the time. And I wrote Lassa, who I had worked with on Dear John before. I wrote him an email, and I said, you know, both actors can do it. This is why David's right, but you guys have to make this decision. And uh, my production executive, who I knew well, called me and said, Lassa read your email to everyone. And I was like, oh, that's not really what I wanted to happen. But, you know, I made my case and I got what I wanted, um, which I thought was best for the project. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes yeah. sometimes there's yelling, you know. It's it's a lot of creative minds all coming together. It's a together. lot of creative minds. I mean, I have I have more than once said to a producer, you know, you hire me for my opinion. This is my opinion. This is why I think you should do this. Make your decision. It's not my decision. It's at a certain point you kind of have to let go of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How but tough is that? Very. There's, but there's, I mean, that's another thing for actors to understand is there's so many people with so many opinions. And so yeah, figuring out who gets the role sometimes has nothing to do with the actor. I, you know, I, I'm always best actor wins. That's not always how, that's not always the metric of who gets the job. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate truth of it. It's the truth. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of opinions. The bigger the production, the more opinions. That's why, I mean, I, right now, currently in my career, I spend a lot of time in independent film, which I love, but it's hard. It's hard to raise money. It's hard to get things made. But what I like most about it is that conference calls are me, the director and a producer, mm -hmm. I get a lot of say. There's ah. no studio executives. Mm -hmm. You know, usually the producer will talk to the the financiers. I don't have to deal with any of that on a smaller budget movie, but I get a lot of say. Mm -hmm. um, I did a movie, I cast a movie a couple years ago called Juggernaut, which was a one point five million dollar American. It was shooting in Vancouver, and it's about a year and a half. Put it together twice. It fell apart twice over cast, actors taking better jobs and good for them. But I finally went to my team and said, we've made you know, 12, 13, whatever offers. I can't guarantee that you're making a movie this year. This actor's fallen out. The rest of the actors have now fallen out. If the goal is for the writer-director who had not made a feature before to make a film this year, you have to cut the budget. And they did, huh. which lessened the name value of the actors that I needed, and I handed them their cast. I just said, here's four actors that will do the role. They'll do it for the money. They've already read it. They like it. You can make the movie. Like that, that's a lot of my input. I don't always get that much say. But that was a- Do you prefer that? I mean, is, it, it's I, there's probably of, no prefer one or the other, but- You know, it, Like that course. sounds like a lot of freedom. Of a, course. A lot I had, more freedom I had almost total process. freedom. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a, telefilm financed film so you know they have rules for non-canadians and rules for canadians and what people need to get paid so i had parameters in which to work but there's so many great actors coming out of can it's easy like it was easy all because you cut the budget 
they slashed the budget and I didn't need as big of a name. Yeah. And so I found I had, there was an actor. I think I had, I, it's not true. I had, I had two actors read for the lead role hmm. that I know both could do it and both were interested and both would have been amazing. And the director ended up choosing an actor that I had put in another movie who I, who I think is amazing. And they went and made the movie. Mm-hmm. We could still be waiting for someone to say yes yeah. if I were going after the group of actors that everyone goes after for everything. Interesting. So, so advice in the realm of if you're an early filmmaker, instead of going after, sometimes it's better instead of going after that same group that everybody's going after and waiting your turn to work with well, them. Well, you know, like it, it depends on the situation. It depends yeah. on where your financing comes from. It depends on, you know, whether you're repped at a big agency, you know, who's, who are your, who's standing behind you and helping you make the movie. But for, for, for everyday filmmakers trying to start out, look, if you can get Colin Farrell to do your first feature, awesome, get Colin Farrell. But most people don't have the access or the the right project for Colin Farrell. For a first-time filmmaker, your first film is your calling card. You use that to get your next film. Mm-hmm. So if, you're, if you've been waiting five years to pull the financing together and you haven't made a movie, I would make the argument you know, go the tangerine route and make a movie for $50,000 that's amazing. If you're that good of an artist, if you're that good of a director, prove it. Love that. And Absolutely. so, and if yeah. that's, and if that's, you know, no names, you know, you hire a great casting director, obviously. But if that's people that don't have name value, go make a good movie. Let that stand for you. You know, then again, you know, if Julianne Moore wants to do your movie, take Julianne Moore. Always take Julianne Moore. But, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, yeah. you know, go and, and digital and iPhones and camera packages. You can fairly inexpensively make a film that's good, that looks good, that looks expensive. Mm-hmm. There's no excuse. There really isn't. There not really any, isn't. Not anymore. Not anymore. And yeah. I say that to actors too. I don't have anything for my demo reel. Go make it. Go thing. make something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so another one that I want to get to is the whackness yes uh, i love the whackness it is it is and I, I know i say that a lot on the show that i love i love a lot of movies the whackness is i've seen it like four or five times and i still watched it again for this interview because really it's funny it's, it's all i i want to go back i haven't watched it in a couple of years i want to go back and rewatch such it such a good movie and it, it it makes sense why it won the audience award at sundance yeah. uh it should have made more money in the box office but that's neither here nor there. No. Um, another one, Jonathan Levine. Yes. Uh, starring Ben Kingsley, Josh Peck, Famke Jansen, Olivia Thurlby, and Mary Kate Olsen. Yeah, Olivia's uh, Olivia's on my. I have a number of actors that I've cast twice that I'm trying to find the third thing for. Yeah. Um, you know, Teresa Palmer, Olivia, Rob Corddry. What does it take to get on that list? Be good. Yeah, be awesome. <laughs> be awesome. Yeah. Um, it, it's just sort of worked out that way. That cast, I really, I, I really like that movie, and it's you know, that's as I said, that's what made me chase down John to work on his next film. What sort of growth did you see from him, and even from yourself over the court? Because that was uh, what four years later, five years later, probably somewhere about five around years. That, yeah. What sort of growth had you gone through 
over that time from casting Wackness and, and, and then working with him again? I mean, I, that was early on um, as a casting director. You know, I did, I went to New York and did a lot of the New York casting there with him. Um, trying to think what I, I think just, you know, confidence, you know, taste level, learning how he likes to work. Mm-hmm. I want to say he did, I want to say in between, I feel like I did his first and third. I feel like 50-50 was in the middle there, mm-hmm. um, which I did not cast. And so we were trying to find, he, he called me about it and it didn't quite work out. So we were trying to find something to do and that's why I chased down warm bodies. But the Wackness, it's a special movie. It really is. And I got to cast Sir Ben Kingsley. Like, was that on. a, was that a, uh, offer or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I figured yeah. Sir Ben, you have to yes. offer things too. Yes. But you did get to cast him. Yes. And he is. Like the the chemistry that he has with Josh in that movie is special. Yeah. Josh, look, Josh earned that role. I mean, we read, I want to say we read 300 actors, Uh um, some of whom are huge movie stars now. But they just weren't right. Yeah. I could have made the movie with him, but they weren't. Josh earned that in the room. What was it about what he did in the room that earned that? Was it just... He, I think he was closest to how John saw it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're, when you're also the writer, you, you kind of try to get your way. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. I, I think it's hearing these sort of things as an actor or is really important because knowing that you read 300 people for that role and that it, it could have been maybe a few of them, but it came down to what the writer-director had specifically in their head yeah, and that even some other actors who have gone on to be huge didn't get that role. There's still opportunity and there's still how many things either get in the way or open the way for an actor to grow and to be seen in the industry. How many things get in the way? Well, get in the way may be the wrong way of putting it. I think what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that as an actor, oftentimes, especially early on in your career, you beat yourself up. Like, why am I not booking? Why is this not working? I'm going on hundreds of auditions and I'm never getting anything. What's going on? And there are, it's not necessarily in the way, but there are just a thousand different things that go into who gets a role? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, for for that role, I think one of the one of the largest factors in Josh getting cast is Josh wanting that job. You know, he he had his own Nickelodeon series. He was a child actor. He was known for a certain thing, and he, like Channing wanted to grow, wanted to do different things. And he worked hard. I, I couldn't tell you how many times we had him audition. I don't really remember, but it was more than once. It was more than twice. Um, he worked for it. Mm-hmm. He wanted the job. Yeah. You know, in terms of actors, actors not booking, you know, my first question is, are you getting called back? Are the same casting offices calling you in? You're not getting the job, but you're getting opportunities. That's a big part of the win. Because that means the casting director sees something in you. And if it didn't work out, yes, it's disappointing. Yes, 
everyone needs to make money. But if you're getting called back consistently, you will book something. It will happen. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's you know hundreds of people just like you that we could put in that slot, but we chose you. Yeah, that has to count for something. I know it doesn't count for a lot. Look, it, but you it couldn't. Sh you couldn't. Right. You does. couldn't pay yeah. me to be an actor. Like I just, it's, uh, it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, gut wrenching, soul crushing, hard. Well, and I think too few actors realize that casting directors understand that. You know, too, oh, yeah. too many actors think of casting directors as gatekeepers, and I don't think that that's the case. I think that... Look, it's... It, there. There is some truth to that, but, you know, I, I've been doing this 20-whatever years, and I still find myself explaining to my family, none of whom are in entertainment, what I do. And I finally have distilled it down that my job as a casting director is to know everyone in the world who may want to act or who does act, who's even tangentially thinking about acting and what they can do and what they can't do. And then to streamline the process specifically per project. I'll never know everybody. That's part of what I find so fun about being a casting director is there's always work to do, but that's my job. So of course I want to try different people and learn new people and see, you know, someone who's known for comedy, see if they can do drama and all of that. It's, but that's my job. I want, I, I have to love actors. How can you do, I, I think I've met casting directors who don't necessarily love actors. Mm. I don't think any of the good ones, you have to love actors. You know, I've got so many, yeah, uh, so many other questions that I want to talk about. We're, we're nearing our hour right now. So Are we know. really? Yeah, right? It just flies by. Wow. This is fun, right? It's, it's not as it, painful as you thought it was it, going to be when yeah, you came in. Sure. <laughs> Um, I do want to talk quickly about two things. Um, one, you got your first Ardios, uh nomination and award. I did last year. Last year for a short film. Yes. Um, which unfortunately isn't online. I searched everywhere for it. If you ask me, I could have shown it to you. Oh, well, uh, could you send it to me sure. now? I would love to watch it. Um, what was it like for you after this amount of time and being a part of the Casting Society of America um, to be honored by your peers in this way. It's pretty, it's, it's a great feeling. I, I didn't really expect the nomination. I didn't expect to win. I thought I knew who was going to win. Uh, but the project, um, a, man, a, a lit manager friend of mine called and said, I have a commercial directing client who wants to do more narrative work he's got this short do you have an associate that can help him and i was like well now i have to read it and i read it and i said okay well now i have to do it because it's <laughs> it was that good yeah and it turned out really really well but i it was it was nice to get nominated it was nice to stand up there and win you know it's uh I can't remember what year I joined CSA. I joined late. I could have joined years before. I don't really know why. I just didn't. And I, uh, it's nice to get up there and thank, as we talked about earlier, I, I thanked all of the casting directors who I worked for mm -hmm. um, in order, which I was impressed with myself because that's a lot of pressure because I hadn't really written a speech. Um, in order, I thanked everybody. But y'all casting directors, you have memories 
like yeah but not when there's a thousand people staring at you ah it's a thousand people at the beverly hilton staring at you while i'm standing up there holding a quite heavy obelisk i didn't really realize they were that heavy um but it was nice it was i it was a good night it was a good evening yeah well speaking of the csa too you are the vice president i am of the csa um and even though we've had uh we've had a conversation with richard hicks um, who is a former president of yes. the CSA uh, twice. Yes. Um, we haven't really talked that much about the CSA and what y'all's mission actually is. Uh, and I kind of want to get into that just a little bit. Being the vice president of this organization, what does that actually entail? And how did you become involved and want to actually work with instead of just being you know, a member of? Um, my friend, Monica Mickelson, who's an executive over at Paramount now, um, was on the board of CSA and said to me, you should join the board. This, we, we have fun and we get give back. And so I joined the board. And then of course, what I didn't realize that Monica was, there's term limits. So Monica was cycling off. So I essentially took her seat. Um, she set you up. She set me up. Uh, that was six years ago. Look, the mission the mission of the CSA distilled is to support casting directors. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier before the interview, not everybody understands what casting directors do. Uh, so to have a professional organization made up of people that do what you do is is helpful. I, I mostly joined the board because I don't know a whole lot of casting directors. Um, I like to say, you know, people say, do you know so-and-so? And my response is usually... I don't need any other casting directors in my life. For all of my casting needs, I'm fine. I can do it. Um, but unless you've worked for someone or worked with someone, you don't. we don't get to meet a lot of our peers. And so I specifically joined the board to meet other casting directors, and I've made some great friendships. But the, the casting community and the business in general has been very good to me. So it's, I like being able to give back. I don't know, what else am I supposed to be answering? Oh no, that's, I mean, just just why get involved? You know, that's, I, I Someone think. Someone has to. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's the right time in my life. I don't, my, my partner is a filmmaker. He and I are not having kids on purpose. So, you know, I have the time. A lot of people don't. Um, our current president, Russell Boast, is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, not yeah, only does he have a career and a family, but he's president of CS. I don't know. I don't know if he sleeps. I don't know what he does. How he's doing. How he it. how uh -huh. he's standing on any given basis with two kids. Uh, but you know, I have the time to give back, um, and so furthering an understanding of casting, I think, is is important. Yeah. The last thing that I want to get to. Um, is uh, one of the things that you've you've been outspoken with uh, at least a little bit on social media is the fact that I have uh, a couple posts. Uh oh, <laughs> uh, nothing bad. I because I agree with you. Is why is it that casting directors still don't have an Academy Award? Oh yes, I I, I can I tend to be vocal about that because casting directors became part of the academy in the past few years. They're I yes, guess, the seventeenth branch. Yeah, of we have our own branch. We are making great strides. I I firmly believe that we will have an Oscar at some point. I don't know when that will be. Um, I'm not a member of the academy yet. someday I hope to be. 
What do you think has been the difficulty in convincing the I think academy? Explaining what we do because they just don't know. They they don't know. I think. Oh, I think there's some academy members that don't care, but I think most people don't know. People, you know, executives don't know what we do, um, and it's something that Russell and I have actually talked about, and we're trying to find ways for CSA to both work hand in hand with the casting branch at the academy to push forward uh, getting an Oscar at some point, but. I like to say a casting director, a good casting director doesn't leave fingerprints. You know, we do our job and you want it to seem organic and, and appropriate and seamless. Uh-huh. But by not leaving fingerprints, by not taking credit, by not doing interviews, uh-huh. um, I've had to convince casting directors to walk the red carpet at the Ardios Awards because they don't want the publicity. They don't want the attention to which I say, if not you, then who? Like, you've been nominated. If we don't celebrate ourselves and our craft, we tend to get, we tend to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And a case in point, I a movie of mine, which shall remain nameless, uh, that I worked on a couple years ago, is premiering tonight in L.A. I was not invited to the screening. They didn't, not on purpose, they just forgot. Because we're so early on yeah. that then... You know, maybe if on, if on a film, if I'm still casting the second week of photography, there's a problem. Like, there's a problem that we're trying to fix. Usually I'm done by day one. Mm-hmm. But then the film then is a family that are in the trenches making the – that we're not a part of. We go on to do another job. So we get forgotten a little bit, I think, sometimes. That's kind of sad. A little bit, yeah. Because it is so important what you guys do Yeah, but we're not – To know, define – I show up to, you know, I say I, but casting directors show up to rap parties and we know a producer. Television's different. You know, they're there for the life of the show and they get to meet people usually in the production office. But for film, you know, I've met the producer, maybe two of them. I know the director. I may have been introduced to the writer at some point. And I talk to the production coordinator 25 times a day for six weeks. I don't meet anyone else in the crew. If I go to set, I don't know who anyone is. That's, it's a... It's an interesting place to be. Mm-hmm. But as it, as it translates to people understanding what casting directors do, it's just education. Yeah. I, I, I firmly believe we will have an Oscar at some point. I think the craft warrants it. Um, it's just turning a ship. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and again, there's also a lot of, as with picking one specific actor for a role and there being a lot of voices, it's the same thing with something like that. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same thing with lighting on a set. Yeah. There are a lot of people who weigh in. The cinematographer gets the award for photography, but the director's weighing in on that. The yeah. gaffer's weighing in on that. There's, It's all a process. Yeah. And I think that the fact that you guys aren't recognized at that level um, needs to change. Yeah, look, I mean, for they, they uh, casting directors who came before me, tried for, what, 25 years to be unionized. And just to even get the title casting director. Yeah that was a fight it's all a fight yeah but but the visibility there. i think helps. i think i think the visibility we have not done ourselves as a craft any service by not highlighting what we do yeah and well, you i hear that casting directors come on this show tell us what you do let's let yeah, everybody know absolutely and you know and i said to you when you invited me like i this is a learning thing for me i don't particularly like talking about what I do, but it's important to the craft. It's important to the casting directors now that I'm 
you know, one of the elders, um, <laughs> which isn't really true, uh, but I am. Uh, to the people coming up who want to be casting directors, who who are casting assistants now, you know, take some pride in what you did and what you've collaborated and how you've contributed to the process. Mm -hmm. And if you turn down opportunities like this or to be interviewed or to walk a red carpet, that doesn't help the craft. Be out. We have to. We have to learn. I think as a community to to take some pride. Not that we. Not that we're not proud but to take some some pride in public yeah for what we do we're the only you know we're the only main title credit that doesn't have an oscar that has to change it does it will i like the optimism that's great i'm i have to remain optimistic mm -hmm. but yeah it, it definitely will change well there you have it folks uh rich thank you so much my for pleasure coming in today and uh we'll let you get back to work thank you we hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Placing Faces. Rich is great. I highly recommend you follow him on all the social medias. Also, speaking of that, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, love, heart, thumbs up, and share this show so we can keep making it. Again, many thanks to my producer, Maria Perry. This show would not be possible without you. Placing Faces is powered by Collaborator.com, a company both Maria and I work for. Collaborator.com's mission is to make sourcing, staffing, and production of video simple, efficient, and effective. We connect media professionals to companies, brands, and agencies, allowing you to scale your production based on your needs. Video professionals find work, and companies save money. We would also like to thank our partners at the Casting Society of America for introducing us to so many of our guests. They also serve as a hub of information about this branch of the film industry. To learn more about the Casting Society and what it takes to get into casting, you can visit castingsociety.com. We're going to keep doing this show until casting directors tell us no. So keep tuning in every Thursday. This is season two. Until next time, thank you for listening and be well. <laughs>